Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Here's your warning. Adult content. We're going to go ahead and start the message. Today is is our last message in this series, and today is all about safeguarding your marriage. And there are things I'm going to talk about. This is why you need the warning, because there's things I'm going to talk about that may not be kid-friendly. Maybe you haven't had discussions with your kids yet, and so you want to make sure that if they are in here and you don't want them to be, or you don't want to discuss sex and other things like that, that you... Take them back to the children's ministry this morning. That would be fantastic. Or if you're listening at home on the podcast, take the moment, pause the podcast, get around, get, get to a safe place so that your kids aren't hearing it because I am not going to hold back. All right. So I want to start out today by, by uh, pleading, to, pleading that you give today's message your fullest attention, okay? Uh, I, I haven't been the greatest in the past at some of the things that I'm going to talk about. I'm just being honest with you. You know, my marriage has suffered because I haven't done some of the things that I'll talk about very well today. And so from, from, so today I speak from a, a place of experience, not, not just personally, but from sitting with people who have not done well at safeguarding their marriage, hearing their stories of brokenness, hearing how they've had to spend time repairing their marriage and, and fixing their relationship and all the work that goes into that because they didn't do some simple things to safeguard their, their marriage. And, you know, I'm aware that that in this room we are all over the map when it comes to our spiritual journey. Some of you have known Jesus for 20 years. Some of you have known him for 20 seconds. Others of, others of you are sitting there going, you know what, I'm not even sure. I'm just kind of checking out the claims of Jesus to see if he's even who he says he is. So I'm aware we're all over the place when it comes to our spiritual journey. But I, I do know this one thing. We can all agree on one thing, that having an affair, an, an extramarital relationship, when you are, are married, is probably a bad idea, Right? <laughs> It's a bad idea. It is, it is harmful to the marriage relationship for you to have an affair. The marriage is not going to uphold underneath of that. And so from that place of agreement, that's where we're going to start today. And, and where we're going to disagree today is, is what we need to do in our lives in order to safeguard our marriage, right? What boundaries we need to set, what guardrails we need to put up in order to make sure that we never do have an affair. And uh, we probably won't agree on it because when you hear some of the things that I'm going to say, they're going to sound legalistic to you. And legalistic is like this big word that just means like rules, right? It's restrictive. It's a church word here. So when I say legalistic, that, that, it's going to sound restrictive, some of the things that I'm going to say. And you know what? That's okay. I'm, I'm not afraid of sa- saying some things to you that I do in my own life and some ideas that, that you can apply in your life that are a little restrictive to help guard your marriage. It will be worth it in the long run to make sure that you never do have an affair, Okay. And so um, these aren't going to be popular things to talk about, you know, like, like what boundaries you have in your marriage. For guys, this is not something we stand around the locker room and talk about and say, hey, high five, you're restricting yourself this way so you can protect your marriage. And the, the gals are not talking about what they're doing to protect their marriage at Chicks Chat and Chocolate. They're just not. It is not a popular subject. So I get that today's subject, may, you may be like, hey, lame. I liked all your other four messages. Today was lame, lame. I get that. But... When it comes down to it, when the rubber meets the road and you get successfully to the end of your marriage, no matter how that ends, remember we talked about how do you want your marriage to end. For me, I want to kiss my wife on our 50th anniversary, and I'm not sure what I want to do after that. But I know I want to at least get to that 50, and then I'll set another goal. But obviously, my end goal is to the death do us part, right? That, that's my end goal. And if that's my end goal, what am I going to do to make sure that I get there? So, 
So, um, so trust me, I get that boundaries and things does not scream life of the party, but, uh, but I want you to think about some of the guardrails we, we've come up with in our culture maybe so we can identify what, what guardrails are, uh, like alcohol. We can all agree that, that most of us aren't going to say that alcohol in and of itself is a bad thing, right? But being drunk or the drunkenness and the things that go along with, out, with getting drunk are bad things for you because you make bad decisions, you wind up in places that you didn't mean to go, you wind up doing things you didn't mean to do, right? So that drunkenness is probably a bad idea. But, but look at the boundaries that we set for ourselves. Like every, every new year, what do you see on Facebook statuses? Hey, everybody, drink responsibly, right? Well, what exactly does that mean, right? What, is, what exactly does, where is that line between responsible drinking and irresponsible drinking? I would say it's a little blurry, especially depending on how much you've had to drink, right? It can be a little blurry. Same thing with sex, you know, if you're 13 or 15 years old and your parents are trying to prepare you for sexual relationships and they say, okay, listen, before you go out and have sex, just make sure that you're ready. Why well, don't, have you ever talked to a seventh grade boy about sex and said, make sure you're ready that they didn't say, I'm ready? Like, they think they are ready. They're like, I'm good to go. This is a serious relationship. And it isn't until years later that they figure out that was probably not a serious relationship and I wasn't actually ready. But when you say, that, hey, wait until you're ready, that's not really a great boundary, is it? It's kind of, it's kind of wibbly-wombly, timely-wimely. Never mind. You've got to be a Doctor Who fan to get that. <clears throat> or smoking underage, right? They say, be smart, don't. Somebody said it. Start. Yeah, be smart, don't start. Like that's a that's a, a, a not a bad slogan. That's like an ad campaign, right? It's t- it's telling you, hey, don't don't start smoking. It's probably not a good idea for you. It's not good for your health. Well, the same thing with drugs. Like when I was growing up, you know, they they had those. Uh, this is your brain. This is your brain on drugs, right? And they crack the egg, and it's all sizzling. It's like any questions? It's like, yeah, can I get a side of bacon with that? Like seriously, it sounds awesome. It's the eggs and the pan and the bacon. <laughs> I love bacon. Anybody else have bacon this weekend? I did. I had bacon. I had lots of it. But I would say that, that while this is a great ad campaign against drugs, like to help you keep kids off drugs, this is, this is a great ad campaign. But, but I have to say this. The problem is, is that Snoop Dogg, Chris Farley, uh, Dave Chappelle, and many other celebrities are, are much cooler than an anti-drug campaign, right? They make it look so cool. Like, you know, you remember back in the 70s, it was Cheech and Chong and Up and Smoke and all these things. They make that look so much fun. You look at that and you go, yeah, that's what I want to do. So as great as, as this, this idea that we get in our mind, this is, everybody knows that. This is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. But when it comes down to it, did we do the drugs? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. Why? Because it just looked cooler. So when it comes to this whole arena of setting up boundaries in our lives so that we don't go down a path of an emotional affair, affair or sexual affair, uh, somebody we're not married to, we're going to have to come up with something that's better than like an ad campaign or a slogan, Right? I've heard it said by one of my pastors, uh, Gary Fowler, and this is the man that I respect, and he's one of my personal heroes. He, he has said this about, about boundaries and what you need to do. He said, you don't decide how far you're going to go with a guy or a girl in the moment. That needs to be decided long before you get to the moment. That's a guardrail. That's a boundary. You decide in a dating relationship, hey, this is, I'm only going to go this far with this person. And when you set that out there at the beginning you put guardrails in place because you've got a goal in mind. If you have no goal, if you have nothing in mind, you're going to go way too far in that relationship than you intended to. So you need to set those things up. Those boundaries or those guardrails have to be in place. And that's all guardrails do, right? If you've ever driven through the mountains, like through, through West Virginia, and you're headed down to Florida, and you go through the mountain paths, and it's wintertime, and it's nighttime, or it's raining heavy, you are thankful for guardrails, aren't you? 
Why? Not because you want to hit them and like damage your car, but because you want to make sure that, that your destination isn't at the end of a mountain somewhere if your car goes wibbly-wobbly off the road. You know what I'm saying? And so guardrails are there to keep you on the road of life. Right? They want to make sure that the destination you have in mind is, is that you get there. That you don't go off and go down that slippery slope of life or wherever it is that may lead you. So that's what we're talking about today. These guardrails are to protect you. They're not a bunch of thou shalt nots. These come from personal experience in sitting with couples who have had to work through the difficulties in navigating affairs. All these, these ideas that I'm going to give you today. So if anything, I want you to look at boundaries through the, through the eyes of love. And when you set boundaries in place, man, this ought to cause your marriage to become hot, hot, hot. Why? Because they are disciplining themselves. They are exercising a self-discipline for your benefit, husbands and wives. When a husband says, I'm going to protect my eyes in some way, shape, or form, ladies, that ought to, that ought to steam it up for you. Because that means he's keeping his eyes only for you, right? This, this should be something that you look through through the eyes of love. I love you this much that I am willing to discipline myself in a way that is not hip, that is not cool. And I'm going to avoid doing or going certain places for you. And so look at Proverbs 25, 28. It says, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. What does that mean? No walls, no boundaries. Anybody can come in, anything can come in and loot and plunder and destroy that man in his city. So boundaries are necessary. Being faithful is a lot of work. Boundaries will be an exercise of disciplines over a long period of time. That's a lot of work when you think about that. But let me tell you something. Affairs are even more work. Look, there's the hiding of it. There's the secret shame that you feel. There's covering up your text messages, your emails. It's putting passwords on your Facebook that your wife doesn't know. It, it is going so far. It's so much work so that you don't get caught. And then when you do get caught, there's the issue of dealing with it. You know, what happens to your marriage relationship afterwards? What are you going to tell the kids? What are you, what are you going to respond to the kids? Or how are you going to respond to them when they finally find out about it? Having an affair is a lot of work. So if you think that staying, staying faithful is a lot of work, have an affair. Talk to people who have done it. Talk to married couples who have stayed together through it. And the amount of work that has gone into recovering after an affair and you will find out that, that staying faithful is a lot easier. I got no amens on that, and that's okay. Y'all just listen to me. You're getting quiet. Oh, he's not being funny today. Look, look, that's the heart of where we're going today, okay? And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to use the word sin to summarize an affair. Because I think, I think we can all agree that, 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 that having an affair within marriage, this, this would be something we would categorize as sin, right? Sin is simply missing the mark or, or not living out God's intent or best for your life, right? That's essentially what sin is. And so when we look at this, we say, all right, an affair is not God's best or his intent for my life to experience life in that way. That, that, that's not. So, so we can categorize that. And, and you know what? The nature of sin is that it always takes us further than we want to go. It keeps us longer than we want to stay. And it costs us way more than we ever anticipated paying, doesn't it? Think about that for a minute. Think about the cost that you pay when you sin. And so that being the foundational thinking today, let's talk practically about how to set some guardrails and different things, okay? Uh, the very first thing that I would encourage you to do, and I've got four of these, is to establish some boundaries in your relationship, okay? Uh, when, I was, when I was younger, we had a ski trip and, um, in the youth group that, w that I was a part of, and we went skiing. And uh, I am, actually, ben, ben went with us. Uh, he probably remembers this and probably remembers making fun of me. Uh, I didn't know you were going to be here this morning. It's very convenient that you are to, to 
corroborate my story here and say that it's true, but we went, um, we went skiing out at Mad River Mountain, and I wouldn't participate. Oh, what's that? Oh, it's snow trails. Snow trails. All right. So there you go. I thought. See, thank you, buddy. Um, we went skiing, and I didn't participate. I didn't have health insurance. And I had seen far too many people get injured on the hills. It was, was going to be my first time on skis. And I was like, dude, I'm going to get broke. I'm a big guy. This is not going to be a good idea. I don't fall graceful. I'm clumsy. I'm not an athlete. I don't think I can handle this. And so going into it, I knew, hey, I want to be a part of this, and I want to support. I want to go on the trip, and I paid my paid my, my fee to be able to go, but I got there and I sat all day in the lodge. And I'm, I'm actually glad I did because there was another kid who went who didn't wind up getting on the skis, who was just bummed out. He did, got scared or something and he wound up sitting in the lodge and I sat all day with him. And uh, it's almost like God intended that. But anyway, so, I, but I didn't go skiing because I didn't have insurance. I put up a boundary. And as many people had made fun of me, they were like, so you're still going to go? I'm like, yeah, I want to be a part of it. You know, I want to share in that. But, but don't we, we need to do that, right? Like some of you have severe allergies to certain kind of foods, right? And you having those severe allergies means you have to do the extra legwork of every time you go to eat something. You have to look at the ingredients. Like if you've got a nut allergy, man, you are on alert. You're like, oh, is there any kind of peanuts? Was this made in a factory with peanuts? Like it says on the labels now, like made in a factory or may contain nuts or made in a place where there might be nut dust floating around and it might somehow <laughs> infect you and get you like, yeah, all jacked up. So you, if you have one of those food allergies, you put up guardrails because why? Because as much as you like the flavor of peanuts or peanut butter or whatever that food is you're allergic to, you are so averse to the effects of it on your body that you are like, no, thank you, right? It's a guardrail. It's just something you put in place. Same, same with those of us who don't want to get sunburned. If you don't want to get sunburned, you put on sunblock, right? You don't go out on the beach and expect to not get burned if you don't put on sunblock, right? Or if you don't want mosquito bites, you don't walk into a forest after a rain, uh, without some kind of repellent sprayed all over you. <laughs> and so the Apostle Paul is giving a strong warning to the early church, and he says uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, he says, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. Now, if you feel like your marriage is weak or vulnerable right now, you already kind of know that you're in a place that you're susceptible to an affair, right? You already know that, hey, the, the relationship's kind of wibbly-wobbly, and, and I'm not sure where I stand with her, and we're kind of broken. And so you already know you're susceptible to this affair. But, but that's not who Paul is talking to. Look what he says. He says, if you think you are standing strong, he's talking to the people who think everything is fine. He's talking to the people whose relationships are strong, whose, whose relationships are good to go. You are, you are rocking and rolling. It is hot. Your, your sex life is great. Your parenting skills are top notch. Like You are going great. And that's who he's talking to here. He's like, hey, you are actually in a vulnerable state. Be careful not to fall. Put up boundaries so that you don't go to road, or down roads that lead to a, a rough spot in your marriage where you become vulnerable, right? So here's, here's some of those boundaries. I've got four of them for you. And some of these, like I said before, you're not going to agree with me on. You're going to think that I'm being a little, I don't know, holy or pastorly or something. I don't know what you think of me or how you think I need to behave. But you're probably going to look and go, oh, that's great for you, but probably not for me. Let, let me tell you something. These are, these, these are very relative to you in your life, okay? So, so don't shut me down. The very first boundary I would say is social networking boundaries. These are like the number one killers of marriages right now. Your social networking, CNN came out with a report in 2011 that one in five affairs now begins on Facebook. 
And that was in 2011. And imagine how, how much more popular it's gotten since 2011. You probably can't imagine your lives if you're already a Facebooker and you have been for a while. You probably can't imagine your life without a Facebook. You're like, hey, let me snap that picture. Let me post it to Facebook. Let me get it on Instagram. And oh, by the way, do I want to post it to Facebook? Yes, I do. Like we live our lives in Facebook land. That's what we do, right? And, and so these, it is so easy for affairs to begin on there. In fact, that, the, the link to that, to that study, it was... It was incredibly insightful. And so we, we will tweet that later this week. It'll be up on our, our Facebook. If you want to read that report from CNN, it's, it's incredibly insightful. So if you don't believe me, one in five affairs begins on Facebook. And why is that? Well, because on Facebook, you're seeing everybody's highlight reel, right? You're looking at them at their best. I mean, who honestly takes a horrible picture of themselves and puts it up on Facebook? Like, look, my wife, my wife, has like a way that she takes pictures. She's got to position her neck. The camera has got to be like this, and it's like, think, and she wants to look at every picture that I'm going to put on Facebook. If somebody tags me in a photo that is like, you know, it, it's, I don't know, it's just not really good, and it's, it's not like my favorite, you can untag yourself or report that person and say, I do not want them to post pictures of me anymore. Facebook will take care of that for you, right? But we want to make sure we look our best on Facebook. We always do. I mean, talk to my wife about her technique. She's got the selfie thing down. She got it good. <clears throat> but our, our statuses, they all scream one thing, right? My life is awesome. My life is awesome. Look at me. Get to know me. And we are intentionally, cre- we create fans and followers, don't we? You have certain people you like to follow and certain people that you want to see what their status is and what they're doing, right? You subscribe to their feed and you want to check them out. That's what we are intentionally doing. So it's so easy on Facebook to be enamored with somebody and what they're posting, especially if they're funny or if they're posting pictures of themselves in bikinis all the time. And, oh, yep, yep, I said it. I don't care. I ain't scared of you. If they're, you're, you want to look at them. You want to see them all the time. I look at my friends, friends sometimes and I'm like, yep, look, they don't know any of these girls, but they're, they're just friending them because they're in bikinis. That's exactly what they're doing because they want to look at them. And so you create followers this way. And so we follow people we find attractive, either in their pictures or their life activities or their funny posts. And we want to get to know them. We want to be around them. So naturally, it's, it's very easy to approach somebody on Facebook. And look, I'm not saying that every single comment that you make to somebody or if you guys, you know, ladies, if your guy has a friend that, you know, suddenly puts up a picture of a bikini, like, don't blame him for that. He's probably, he probably had nothing to do with that and probably didn't follow him initially for that. <clears throat> yeah, right. Anyway, uh, but, you know, just, guys, be aware of that kind of stuff. If you've got a friend who's doing that, maybe it's time to unfollow him. Maybe it's time to unfriend him if they're, if they're going to put that kind of content up. You know, just, just think about that. But affairs don't start, uh, start always so openly and so obvious, right? They always start in a subtle kind of way. You know, it could start off as simply as, as maybe post an LOL or Rothlol or whatever you're going to post on their, po- on, their, on their wall because they said something, right? Am I talking text speak to you guys or is this completely foreign to you? Like you okay, you got it. Okay, the Rothlcopter. You know what I'm saying? Like, look, uh, I'm not saying you can't post that kind of stuff on somebody's wall and not, and not be in love with them or trying to have an affair. I, I'm not saying that that's what you're doing, but it starts that way. And then the next thing you know, you private message a girl. So if it's a guy, you're private, private messaging her. And you're like, hey, I saw that you were doing this. I did this once too, right? That's just a very subtle way for that relationship to begin. And then you keep on talking. It's all these private messages, message after message after message. And then the next thing you know, you're in the middle of a, either an emotional affair or, hey, you want to meet up? And all of a sudden, it's gone to a place that you didn't mean for it to go. And so it, it's really important because when you start doing those kind of things, you, you're going to go into dangerous, dangerous, dangerous territory. And not to go too far here, but if you feel the need to constantly post on someone's wall, somebody of the opposite sex's wall, you know, 
you're probably entering into some dangerous territory there. If you constantly feel the need to post on that, everything that they say, it's possible that there's a red flag there. You need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. And if you think that I'm saying too much, I want you to talk to the couples who have gone through this. I want you to meet people who have had difficulties in their marriage and in their relationship because of Facebook conversations. Look, when, my, when, when a girl private messages me, I will either bring my wife into the conversation through an invite or I will show her, hey, look, this is what's going on. This is what's being said. Facebook, she has my passwords to my Facebook. She can get on there anytime. But, but if, it, if it's going too far, I'm going to shut that thing down. I'm going to unfriend them. I'm going to block them. I'm going to be done. Why? Guardrails. I have a marriage to protect, and so do you. So my wife and I did this early in the relationship, um, and it was simply identifying this. If you are friends with an ex-boyfriend or a girlfriend on Facebook, and specifically somebody that you have had a sexual relationship with, you need to cut that out now. We went through and said, nobody, nobody that you have ever had any kind of sexual encounter with needs to stay on there. Why? Because it's too easy to do revisits. It's too easy to get to a bad place in your marriage and go, hey, I had it better over here. Or, or start to begin talking to them or, or to lean on them. And so it, it is too easy. Cut it out. Block them. Be, be all done with that. Don't, I, I liked it in, in the one report. It said, don't romanticize the past at the expense of the present. Close that door. Put up a boundary. And my wife and I did this early in a relationship, and we're, and we're really glad that we did. Really glad that we closed those doors to past relationships. Second boundary, office boundaries. Office, the, uh, the most affairs are going to happen between friends and coworkers. Why? Why is that, do you think? Because affairs don't begin when you walk into Walmart, you see somebody attractive, you say, hey, can I, do you mind if I reach and get that past you? And then you decide to give up everything, your whole family, and go home with them and have an affair. Right, like, look, that just doesn't happen. Okay, that's not how affairs begin. Affairs... <laughs> Maybe it does. I don't know. Uh, but, but it never starts that way. It always starts in a comfortable environment. And I would say the offices are like an incredibly comfortable environment for you. Why is that? Well, because they're fantasy lands. They, they really are. I mean, everyone shows up showered and looking their best at, at their job, don't they? Well, maybe not where you work, but I'm just saying. Like, you know, just, I guess it depends on what industry you're in as to whether they look their best or not. But, but for the most part, they come into work smelling good, looking good. They, they are at their best. And you take that experience and you compare it to your wife or your current situation at home, right? And you, and you can't do that because you see your spouse at their worst and then you're seeing this person at the office at their best. This is not apples to apples. This is apples to oranges here, right? Like you've got a guy who's at home in his you know, t-shirt that's got a bunch of holes in it. His tummy's hanging out and she's in a pair of sweatpants with explosive diarrhea. Like honestly, you cannot compare... <laughs> the two you just can't they're, 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 it is not a it's not fair to you it's a no-win situation right and so it's not reality ladies here's a word of caution to you most husbands suck at telling you or giving you the kind of verbal attention that you need telling you how much they love you telling you how pretty you are that we, we just do and, and that's a conversation you need to have and say hey listen i need to hear that you know we've talked about that in the previous weeks that, that what girls want here Guys, if you weren't here, go listen to the podcast. Listen to what the ladies want. But, but ladies, if you're not getting that kind of attention, attention from your husband, 
The temptation is there to seek that from other people and you'll find that at work and you may be tempted to give in to that. You can begin emotional affairs. You can begin sexual affairs very, very easily if you're seeking that kind of affirmation from guys in your office. Now, for guys, it may not be wrong for you to to tell a lady that she's pretty or to tell her that she's beautiful. But look, there, there's a big difference in saying, hey, pretty lady, or you look beautiful. I saw you. You look beautiful in that dress. You go to, go to a wedding or you see them out and they're all fancied up to tell a woman that she's beautiful. I don't, I don't see anything wrong with, with me telling another married woman that or a single woman that. But there's a big difference in saying you're beautiful or you're pretty and saying, dang, girl, you got it going on. I would never do this. I'm just letting you know. Or saying, you look hot, girl, or you look sexy. Like, you know... There's a big difference there, right? And so, but it, you know, if a guy is making a pattern out of telling you constantly, ladies, that you are pretty, you are beautiful, like th- there may be some red flags there. If it's the same guy and he's constantly doing that, th- there's probably some red fl- flags there and some things that you need to avoid. But ladies, if you continue to get this kind of attention from guys or even just one specific guy, something happens in your heart where you begin to say, man, I wish my husband was like this. I wish my husband gave me this kind of attention. And you begin to long for that. And that longing will lead you into the arms of another man. It just will. That's the way it goes. So put up boundaries. You know, your hubby may be bad at this, but it isn't your green light to start seeking it from another man. It's just not. And guys, you may be outgoing and fun-loving, but be careful that you aren't flirting. Be careful. You may say, that. well, I just enjoy being around the ladies. Like, they think I'm funny. They laugh at all my jokes. We're constantly high-fiving. It's a great time. I just prefer to be with them. And, okay. But let me tell you from personal experience. In my previous marriage, and I don't think I've ever shared this before, but in my previous marriage, I had some office buddies that I went on break with. That I, I went, it was two ladies. One was married, one was not. And I always went on breaks, 10-minute breaks here and there. With them, she was right across the hall from me. I'm going on break same time as her, and we'd go out, we'd go get a drink, walk around the building, we'd have lunch together in the building, public. And then sometimes the married gal couldn't come with us. And I would still go on the breaks with the other girl because oh, it's no big deal, we're in public, it didn't matter, but it was every day, over and over again, over and over again. And she began to give me a lot of attention, and I liked it. I loved it. She'd ask me how my day was, how my kids were doing, you know, a lot of things like that were happening. And then it kind of got to a point my wife found out about it. And she said, hey, I'm, I'm, not really a, I'm not really a fan of that relationship. I'm not really a fan that you talk about her as often as you do. I'm not really a fan that you have break with her. And I was just being honest because I didn't think anything of it. And so I had to make a decision. I went into work the next day and, and I told my boss what I needed to do. I needed to tell this girl, hey, I, I can't have breaks with you anymore. I need, I need to protect my marriage this way. So I sat down with her, my boss and her, and I sat down with her and I told her. And look, a conversation that I thought was going to be very well understood and very well received because I was doing something honorable, she burst into tears and started sobbing. What was happening? There was a relationship that was building there that I was not even aware of. So guys, if you like to be the life of the party, you like to be laughed at, you like to, to, to connect with, with people that way and be affirmed by the ladies, red flag, man. Red flag. Be aware of what you're doing. You may not have any heart in that, but they might. So so just be aware. Put up a boundary. Put up a boundary. Proverbs 6, 27 through 28 says, Can a man scoop up flame into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? Can he walk on hot coals and not blister his feet? Guys, don't play with fire. Don't play with fire. You know, I I have rules that you may look at as dumb, but, you know, I, I have personal boundaries myself. Some of them are, I'm never alone with a woman. 
You know, I, I wanted to have coffee with Mindy to hear, to hear her story. You know what I did first? I went to her husband and said, hey, do you mind if I have coffee with your wife? He said, yep. I said, Prom I promise it'll be at Tim Hortons. This is the time. This is the place we're going. And that's what we did. We had coffee in public, right? It was not in my home. I don't get in a car by myself with a female. I don't let a female inside my house. I've had them come to my door. Sorry, my wife's not home. You can't come in. Why? It's a boundary. It's a personal boundary that, that my wife now enjoys. And I haven't always been good at that. But my relationship with her is not in question because she knows that, we're not, that I'm not going to be alone with a girl. I'm not going to be alone with, with another woman. Third boundary. Computer boundaries. I know there's going to be some pushback here. I know that you're, I know that, that especially from the guys, but, but look, we need to have these boundaries in our life to keep us from going down the path of viewing pornography. I know you expect me to say that because I'm a pastor. But pornography builds up a fantasy world in your mind that your spouse can never live up to. Guys, it can lead to full-on impotence in the bedroom because your wife does not look like what you're looking at on the screen. It can lead up to that. That's embarrassing. And can, can you imagine not being able to actually enjoy a regular sex life because your wife is no longer meets the fantasy world that you live in and that you're constantly looking at? That is a horrible, horrible place to be. Those girls that are on the screen are all airbrushed, painted up, surgeried up, liposuctioned up, pumped up, and a lot of cases with pornography, they're drugged up. And so they are willing to do anything and everything on camera. And you look at that and you go, man, that's what I want. And you compare that to your wife. That's a bad place to be. You say that you look at it. Some of you guys say, well, I look at it because my wife doesn't look like them. So that, you know, she's not as attractive as them. Well, let me say something to you guys. Neither are you. <laughs> Those guys on the screen have like a six pack and you've got a keg. That looks like it's hanging in a fanny pack right here. Look, it just creates unhealthy expectations and attitudes in the bedroom. And even if you watch it together, you say, well, well, we just want to spice up our relationship. We're going to watch it together. Let me ask that you consider introducing excitement into your sex life another way. Find another way to do it. Consider it. Consider the damage that is actually happening. She may not tell you about it, but secretly she's harboring it. But secretly she feels insufficient. She may say, no, no, no I'm fine with it. Liar. She's not. She's not. Find other ways than watching other people have sex. It eventually begins to wear and destroy. And the issue with pornography is not is that you don't have to look for porn, right? You don't. You can type in like a wrong web address and all of a sudden porn. You're like scrambling. Like, oh my gosh. Click, click, click. Trying to close that screen as fast as you can. Cover one hand on the screen, one hand on the mouse. Like, oh dear Lord, how do I find? Where's the, where's the off button? And you are looking for that. Like, like porn looks for you. You can be at the checkout counter, right? You are trying to grab a pack of gum, and there's like boobs, boobs, boobs. But there's boobs everywhere. All of a sudden, you are looking at the ceiling, rubbing your neck like you've got a problem or a crick in your neck until you get up to the cashier, right? You're like, dear Lord, can't look anywhere. Pornography looks for you. When I was a kid, I came out of church. I came out the back door, and somebody had taken pornographic images, cut them out, and scattered them all over the backside of the church. Scattered them. And I'm like, Mommy, look. And she's like, oh, dear God, come here. Pornography looks for you. It just does. It is readily, readily available. And so get something on your computer that is a boundary, guys and girls. I have a program that sends an email report to my wife about whatever it is I'm looking at. And it, and it, and it, it, it tells her all the websites that I've gone to. If there's any questionable websites, it shows up in this report. 
Why? You say, Aaron, you do that because you're afraid of, of getting drawn into porn? Yep, you betcha. I am. I absolutely am because I understand the dangers of pornography. Personally, I understand and I'm not speaking from just sitting with people who have experienced the damage of it. I'm telling you, in my marriage, it's part of my testimony. You can listen to it. We talked about it weeks ago. Look at the podcast. So if I'm visiting a website that I shouldn't be, she knows about it. She's my accountability partner, right? Uh, the, the, just in case you're curious, we will tweet this later on this week, but it's called XWatch. It is a free program that you can get at a website called Triple X Church. So that's XXX. Don't stop there. Keep going and add. <laughs> keep going and add church.com. This is a website that has all kinds of help for guys that are addicted to pornography and gals. They have testimonials. They, have, they will pray with you. They will spend time with you. You say, was well, it too churchy? No. No, these guys even go out and they go to porn conventions and they sit there and say, Jesus loves porn stars. With big signs that say that. And they have won tons of porn stars to Christ because Jesus does love, do, does love porn stars. So this is, this is a fantastic program and it's free. It's called X-Watch, okay? But I would say 90% of guys in this room struggle with pornography and a lot of ladies do as well. A lot of ladies do. And so I'm not here to shame you regarding your porn viewing. I'm here to let you know that you need to get a handle on it and realize that it is, it is, it is there and it will destroy you, your potential marriage, or your current marriage. So whatever, whatever your situation is, it will destroy you. Because I've never sat with anybody who says, my life is better because of pornography. Nobody ever says that. Nobody ever says that. All right, fourth, fourth boundary. And I'm just going to mention this one because I want to keep moving. Time boundaries. You know, make sure you're... You're giving your family time. Make sure you're giving your wife time. Turn off your phone. Turn it off. Not just silent, because you can feel that thing vibrating in your pocket, guys and gals. Your purse rattles up against your keys, and all of a sudden your world has to stop because somebody texted you. Like, good Lord, what are they saying? Or I got a notification on the picture that I posted, and you need some kind of validation to see what they said. Look, if it is that bad, delete Facebook from your phone. Delete Twitter and Instagram from your phone and only post your pictures once a week or so or every now and then. Dude, do whatever you need to do to be able to have some time barriers in, or some time boundaries in your life and give your family, your wife, your, your husband, your full attention. I know this isn't easy because at work, everybody likes you, right? They want to talk to you. They like the work that you do, right? And so everybody is all about you. They, they praise you. They high-five you. It's like at your job, everybody wants to talk to you. But you get home and... Everybody doesn't necessarily want to talk to you. You are not the center of attention. If you have kids, they are the center of attention. If you have a spouse, she's probably the center of attention for you. Or he, either way. It's re- it's so This is going to be hard work because at home, maybe nobody laughs at your jokes. Or nobody, nobody, none of my kids ever thank me for the lectures that I give them or the help that I offer. Nobody, nobody even thanks me for that. It's probably because I'm a jerk when I do it. But anyway, I work on that. But look, you've got to work at this to set some time boundaries for you, your spouse, your family. Okay? The next thing you can do that outside of, outside of those particular boundaries, you, you need to live with an open door policy. What does that mean? It means that you have people in your life who can at any moment say, hey, you've been texting a lot, or hey, you've been on the computer a lot. Do you, do you mind if I look at your text messages? Do you mind if I look at your browsing history on your phone, your, your Safari, or maybe look at your search history on Google? These, these are people that in my life, for me, it's my wife. Anytime she wants my phone without hesitation, here you go. She has my passwords. I even asked her this week because I knew we were going to talk about this. I said, you know what my Facebook password is? She said, well, it's either this or it's this because I have two, two that I, that I alternate between. And I said, yep, that's what they are. She knows what they are. Why? I have an open door policy. My life is, is hers. I am, I am for her. She is for me. And as such, she can have my phone anytime she wants it. 
And look, let me tell you something. If you ask your spouse for their phone and they go, uh, uh, hang on. And they, they need to sit with it for a few minutes before they give it to you. That, 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 there's a red flag there. If you don't know the passcode to get on their phone in the first place, red flag, danger. If you don't know the passcodes to their emails or all the email addresses that they have, danger, look out. You're headed down a path, a very, very dangerous path. You say, well, you know what? This, that feels like a stalker to me. Well, not if you don't have anything to hide. If you don't have anything to hide and you have this open, open door policy, then the, what, what's the danger in that? What, what's the problem? If you're constantly slamming your computer shut, saying, well, it's work sensitive. Say, you can't look. Or they say, let me see your phone and you've got you to answer 20 questions. Is why they need to see your phone? There's, there's, there's some red flags there. They're got over here, the tapping won't let you see it. Warning. Look, Proverbs 11.3 says, Honesty guides good people. Dishonesty sh- destroys treacherous people. But don't feel like you have to have hidden or secret lives. Be open to your spouse. It's a huge boundary that will make each one of you feel safe in your marriage. Next thing, plan fun into your marriage. Look, one of the, one of the number one reasons that affairs happen is because marriage gets boring. It becomes paying the bills, cleaning the house, taking care of the kids, going to work, mowing the yard. It, it, becomes just, it just becomes about the work. And so marriage gets boring. So one of the, the number one things that you can do to avoid opening that door to an affair, because affairs are exciting. They're like, oh, it's brand new. It's awesome. It's like, you know, it's, a, it's an adventure. And so we buy into this myth that the grass is greener on the other side. But I would say, no, the grass is greener where you water it. So are you spending time in your marriage watering that grass? What are you doing to make your marriage exciting? So come up with activities that inject fun and excitement to break up the mundane of your marriage. You know, go, go, go out and plan some fun. Plan date nights. Date nights are great. You know, sometimes at date nights, you run out of things to talk about. You're like, I have seen you all week long. I have nothing else to tell you. And you just kind of sit there and Facebook with each other. I see it happen all the time. Look, you want to inject some fun into your relationship? (coughs) Go out on a double date. (coughs) Find people to double date with. It gets exciting. They may have things that they like to do you've never even thought of doing before. Go on double dates. Do that kind of stuff. You say, well, guys are just hearing cha-ching. This sounds like a lot of money to me. Yeah, look, you know, my wife and I, there's nothing more that we enjoy than having people over at the house and playing cards. Getting a couple $5 hollers from Little Caesars and hanging out, eating pizza. Like, look, that, that's like the way to go. That's a cheap date. And you're having fun. You're going on a date. You're setting aside time to be with her or him. And you're, you're inviting other people into it. You want to inject some fun into your relationship. Adds that kind of energy. And, and the excitement is back. And again, you push back on this stuff. But, but look, don't be a Debbie Downer all the time. Just knock it off. Quit complaining about what you can't do. Do what you can do. Go find something to do. Go for a walk in the park. Throw a frisbee with your kids. These are free things. And they'll probably like it a lot better than the money that you want to spend on them, taking them to the movies or to an adventure park or anything. <clears throat> Throw a frisbee with your kid. Make it fun. And, and, and have fun together. Last thing I want to tell you. Have sex frequently. Well, I know we've talked about this a lot in the past couple weeks, and, and if you want to hear all the things that we've said about sex, go, go, go listen to the podcast. But I want to say on the topic of sex and its frequency that one of the biggest causes of affairs is sexual starvation. Right, and now you may be in that situation because you're a jerk, 
or because you've broken the relationship somehow. And you may actually be in that situation right now. And I understand that, that if you've created that for yourself, that, that stinks. And you need to work on that. And so if you are sexually starved in your marriage, you need to rebuild some other things because you don't just start having sex and everything fixes itself. You're probably not going to have sex at all if everything is broken. But if you are sexually starved in a relationship that is going well, you're opening the door to the possibility of an affair. You need to be engaged in, 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 the, in the planning and the execution of that time together. And a lot of people have affairs because it's erotic, it's secretive, it's exciting, it's hidden, it's adventurous, right? It, 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 adds, this, it adds an element to their life that they didn't have before. But let me ask you a question. Why not do this in your own marriage now? Why not find ways to spice up your sexual life now? Why not plan weekends that are just about you going and having sex? Go off, leave the kids somewhere, and plan a, plan a weekend that is full of that. You've got nothing else to do except get a hotel room and have fun. Or maybe not even just send the kids away. Why not plan weekends like that? Because I've never thought of that before. Well, you're welcome. There's an idea. Plan a weekend. Why not set a goal and say, hey, listen, this is how many times we're going to have sex this weekend. And your wife is going to look at you and go, wow, that's a lot. And you go, I know. Let's try it. Let's see what we can do. And you have to arrange your schedule and your time and, and get the kids in certain places so that you can make sure that you do that. That's fun. For those of you that are competitive in your relationship, you're going to have a blast with that. Inject some fun into your, into your sexual life. Let me say this. Singles, you, have, you plan to not have sex or you will. And marrieds, you need to plan to have sex or you won't. That, that's just the way that goes. Sex is, and let me say this about sex. Sex is just a constant renewal of your marriage vows, right? That, that was like a, a symbol or the token of, hey, the marriage has, has, has been established, right? So we, 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 had, we had sex and so that makes it official. So, so look, when you're having sex, you're just renewing those vows that you made. Guys, this is a great pickup line. Look, I just want to re- renew my vows to you. I just want to reestablish my love to you. <laughs> First Corinthians 6, 16 through 17. This is the message Bible's translation. I just love how it says it. it says, there's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. The kind of sex that can never become one. Look, guys, this kind of stuff is all over the Bible. Look at 1 Corinthians 7, 5. It says, do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves completely to prayer. Who does that? Like, does anybody actually do that? Refrain from sexual relations so that they can pray? I've never met anybody who says I'm doing that. But afterwards, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I don't, I don't, I've never talked to anybody that says, man, we aren't having a lot of sex, but we're praying up a storm. <laughs> like I, I, you know, married people need to have sex. The Bible commands it. That's why it's called the good book. I made that part up. I made that part up. I'm not going to lie. The last part. So, so plan for sex. Schedule it. How often you have sex is up to you, okay? It absolutely is. But talk about it so that neither of you feel sexually starved. Last thing I'm going to say, and I'm going to close You can't make up in the bedroom what you lack in the marriage. You just cannot. Don't think that you're going to renew your vows with your spouse, but not apply any of the other things that we've talked about over the last couple weeks. Don't think that's going to happen. Don't think it's just going to magically all change. It's just not going to work. It can't just be about sex. 
when those other things that we've been talking about are in place or worked on, then you ought to be able to talk more about sex and its frequency. You'll feel more comfortable too. And I would encourage you that you need to be able to talk about sex. My wife and I agree that if you can communicate in the bedroom, you can communicate anywhere because sex is messy. And, and it's, if you could talk about that, if you can express your desires and your wants in the bedroom. You, you can do that anywhere with anything. And I don't mean express your sentiments about sex anywhere. I mean, you can communicate about anything with them. You have a firm foundation for talking and, and you, you ought to be able to talk about what, what you want to do, what you never want to do, what you want to try, what you never want to try. Like you ought to be able to do that. And having said that, I get asked often about what can be done in the bedroom. So I'm going to briefly address that. I'm not going to address individual things. We can talk privately about those. You can email me, text me, call me, whatever you want to do, set up a time and we can talk about, can we do this? I'm happy to chat with you about that. But let me give you some guidelines for when you're talking about it, because some people don't engage that way because they're not sure what the rules are. They're like, ah, I don't really know. You know, and everything's shameful. It's like, ah, is this, is this allowed? So, so look, we, we, we believe that God, the only place that God doesn't see is the bedroom. My, my wife and I believe that. He is happy. He gave us a gift of sex. And it's like, you know, he gave us the gift, but he doesn't want to watch us play with it. You know what I'm saying? So like the bedroom, the bedroom is, is that one place that we don't think God is watching. He's like, have fun, kids. Enjoy. And so what's permissible? There, there's, some, there's some guidelines here. <laughs> first question you want to ask yourself is, is it lawful? Like, right. All right. So there's the thing that I want to do. Is it lawful? Whatever that thing is. Is it in violation of the laws of the government and the culture or the laws of God in scripture? So is it, is it a violation? The thing that you want to do. The second thing is, is it helpful? Does this act pull a couple together? Or does it push them apart? If the sect, sex acts include uh, humiliation, degradation, a violation of conscience, pain, or harm, then, then it's not beneficial for the marriage. If that act includes any of the following purposes, pleasure, children, oneness, knowledge, protection, comfort, well, then, then I would say that that was probably helpful. So that answers that question. Is it helpful? Is it enslaving? If a sexual act becomes obsessive or out of control or addictive in an unhealthy or concerning way, that's what the Bible calls slavery. Like, in other words, if you prefer that act over normal intercourse and you demand it, that's all you want. That, that's probably enslaving you. And so when you, when you ask yourself, hey, can I, can I do this? You ask yourself those three questions. Is it lawful? Is it helpful? Is it enslaving? And if you can answer no or yes or in the right way to those, if you can answer those questions appropriately, feel free and enjoy yourselves in the bedroom. Enjoy your spouse in any way that, that is agreeable to you. Hebrews 13, 4 says, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. That's our goal, isn't it? And these boundaries that we put up is so that we can do the last part of that. Remain faithful to one another in marriage. I want to pray for you. Let's pray.